Welcome into a brand new episode of the Busting Brackets podcast. I am Brian Ralph, joined by my co-host Connor Hope. And Connor, it's been too long. This is our first episode since the season abruptly ended. Uh, and of course, our, our lives have been much more simple since then, unfortunately, with uh, COVID-19. But college basketball hasn't hasn't stopped, as the saying goes. Uh, plenty of things going on. Most recently, the reported death of college basketball, thanks to the new G League Professional Pathway Initiative. I don't know what the official name is for that, but that's all uh, five-star prospects, Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, choose the, the G League over going to college. Isaiah Todd had committed to Michigan, uh, decommitted to go to the D League. Jalen Green uh, chose the D League. He had been considering Auburn and Memphis, but that was widely reported to be the death of college basketball as many people who, who hate the NCAA chose to say. Um, but I, I think we both agree while the G league is certainly a, a interesting new pathway uh, and certainly a good option for some of these prospects um, to call it the, the death of college basketball is certainly a, a huge exaggeration. Yeah, no, definitely a huge exaggeration. And, uh, you know, after Greg Brown uh, committed to play for Shaka Smart at Texas, um, I think we can safely say that it's not as much a death knell as, as potentially just a... I don't even think it's a hindrance, but but I can see why people would consider it a hindrance to, to college basketball reaching its peak. Uh, but Greg Brown turned down the the offer, uh, now I have heard, and I'm assuming that his offer was not as high as a Jalen Green offer. I think Jalen Green got the offer he did, or the offer he reportedly got, because he was a top three uh, prospect. But you know, I actually think it could be good for college basketball, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I doubt we're losing the Zion's because if mm-hmm. you listened to Zion talk before college, during his time at Duke, and after, you could tell he was 100% invested in his year at Duke and wanted to play for a national championship, wanted to give it his all, and even mentioned that while it was the right time for him to move to the NBA, he wished he could have played uh, for a potential national championship in a second year. Um, Now, whether that is just him talking because he knows that he wants to keep the support of the Duke fans or not, um, he was one of those guys, obviously one of the most talented college basketball players of all time, uh, who I don't think would have jumped at this opportunity. The guys you're losing are going to be guys like Ben Simmons, guys like Markel Fultz, who during their time, during their one season in college basketball, you could tell had absolutely no interest in being there. And their teams didn't perform like their stars wanted to be there. Both of them missed the NCAA tournament. And honestly, if we had never had Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz in uh, college basketball, I don't think much would have changed. No, and... I'll branch off two aspects here. I agree. As 
high profile as some of those top freshmen are the one and done guys that have come through college basketball. The last one and done freshman to play on a team that made the final four was Malachi Richardson for Syracuse. And he is now out of the NBA. So it's not like these guys are coming in and having huge impacts um, all the time. Now, obviously there's the Duke team in 2015, the Kentucky 2012 team, a lot of the Kentucky teams that have done really well with those one and done freshmen. But in terms of at least recent memory, those guys haven't been playing a, a huge, huge factor on college basketball's um, the impact of a college basketball season. And Zion Williamson, it's easy to forget. It's very easy to forget now, but he is somebody that college helped immensely. When the final recruiting rankings came out, he I think he was number seven, um, ranked number seven overall in the country as a recruit behind the likes of EJ Montgomery, who just declared for the draft after a couple years at Kentucky, and we'll see if he ends up getting drafted. Um, but so he wouldn't have he. I think the YouTube and, and dunking aspect may have gotten him some other potential offers, but he's not somebody at, who was rated at Jalen Green's level. Got to Duke, obviously boosted his draft stock immensely, showed what he could do. Um, and on the flip side of that, playing at Duke and being that level of superstar in college basketball raised uh, his national profile immensely. And he signed one of the richest rookie shoe contracts of all time. Uh, you see him in commercials all over the place now. And those things wouldn't have happened at the same level had he not gone to a big-time college basketball program if he had chose to go play overseas in Australia or gone to the G League. Those opportunities wouldn't be there for him. So uh, despite the doom and gloom that some people are saying that the G League initiative has, there is still a wealth of – positive things that can come from playing college basketball aside from just getting a paycheck and down the road the NCAA looks like they may pass some sort of uh, way to allow athletes to profit off their name image and likeness which they should be able to do but that seems to be coming down the tube sooner rather than later so if you give these players more exposure and allow them to profit that way I don't know how different the money aspect is really going to be uh, in, in three to four years between that avenue and the G League avenue. Right. And, and, and I also think, I mean, we haven't seen really uh, what has happened to players because it, this is the really first, the first, this is the first year that they've had an opportunity to go to a professional um essentially what is a, a professional development clinic mm -hmm. uh, without going the college route and doing it under the advisement of the NBA. If you look at everyone who's gone overseas, yes, they've had the opportunity to make money. And yes, it doesn't hasn't necessarily hurt their draft stock. But the only player who... I would consider a high-profile player that has gone to play overseas as a, or, or gone to uh, develop themselves independently of college basketball who has seen any sort of uh, sponsorship or name, image, image, and likeness or something like that that is a big number um, that didn't come from college basketball is LaMelo Ball. Mm -hmm. And 
he has the benefit of his father and his brother who's already in the NBA and that whole family to really push his name out there. If LaMelo Ball was a Jalen Green, for example, and went to play in Australia, I don't necessarily think that he'd have the same profile in terms of everyone wants to see him play. Everyone is prepared for him to come back to the NBA and he has the potential to land a huge sponsorship deal. We'll see, but I'm under the, like, who's going to watch these people, these players play uh, before they hit the NBA? You're going to get high, uh, like, really interested NBA fans who might tune in to an exhibition game, but the general sports fan is probably more likely to watch Terrence Clark play at Kentucky than they are to watch Jalen Green play in these exhibition games. And when you're a Nike or an Adidas and you have the choice between Jalen Green, who no one's really heard about in a year, and Terrence Clark, who has the potential to play for a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, you're going to go with the person that everyone knows. And so we'll see how they they handle this. Um, I'm sure the NBA will want to push the players that go through this program as their, not necessarily faces, but as players that they want to get some of these deals, some of these uh, this profile out there so that they can push this this route. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't necessarily think we can say that it's the death of college basketball until we see three, four, five of these guys go in the top five in the draft and get these big deals. Because if they, they're not getting these big deals, then what is the point of going that route when you could go and get you know the same benefits, if not more, playing for a Kentucky or a Duke or a Michigan State. There are a lot of unknowns with this because it's so new. One thing we do know, though, is that the NBA isn't just offering these out to every prospect, right? They are essentially handpicking guys from the top 10, top 15, top 20 in these rankings and going with them. It's not available to a lot of guys who who may want it or who may be looking to sit out a year and, and not play college basketball and not and college basketball is not in everybody's best interest. There are some guys who are just done with the school aspect and don't want to do it. Um, some of them are in families or in situations that need the money and that stuff's understandable and there are avenues for that, but it's not like the G league is coming and picking 50 guys out of those, out of these recruit uh, recruiting classes and taking them away from college basketball. That's not happening. Best case scenario, uh, for best case scenario for the G League, they may take five or six of these guys in one class, and that's fine. Uh, you know, obviously, if you're college basketball, it helps to have better players to make a better product. Uh, but not having again, worst case scenario for college basketball, best case for G League, not having five or six guys doesn't kill the sport. There's thousands of players who who enter college basketball every season and you know for every Jalen Green you got guys who are maybe top 100 guys but guys who develop throughout the course of their college career whether that's one two three four five one two three four some cases five years and become NBA prospects and become those same lottery picks the same way we can look at uh, Zaire Smith from Texas Tech a couple years ago uh, for the Sixers now was drafted in the lottery after being ranked outside the top 200. A uh, one-and-done guy ranked outside the top 200. Um, ended up going pretty early in that class because of uh, what he showed at Texas Tech a year of development. There's always going to be 
those guys. College basketball has not been made up of just the top one or two, three guys in every class. So will it have an impact? Yes, but it will be extremely, extremely minimal. And really the bones of college basketball will still be in place and the sport is still going to be in great shape moving forward. Unless this transfer rule passes, according to John Rothstein, because the other big news in college basketball is the possibility of the NCAA passing a one-time transfer waiver rule, essentially, where players, if they have a certain minimum GPA, would be allowed to do a a one-time transfer throughout the course of their uh, college career without having to sit out that year the transfer year that transfers currently have to sit out essentially a free pass to switch schools uh, and do that transfer and not sit out. Should you meet certain academic requirements? Um, I'm in favor of this Connor. I know you're in favor of this, uh, but CBS sports, John Rothstein has been probably the biggest opponent of this. And it has been hilarious and I don't quite understand it. Yeah, I just it's it is the weirdest hill to die on, um, especially for someone with a national profile like this. I mean, I get it. There are people who are going to disagree with allowing players to transfer freely um, with, you know, even once um, unless they've graduated school or uh, uh, have some sort of hardship. And I and I get the reason why. Uh, you, you have a lot of coaches, especially at the low major, mid-major level, who will develop these or identify these diamonds in the rough and turn them into players who can contribute and contribute well at a high major level. And they don't want their they don't want to become the development center for the high major teams. I get that. What I don't get is his pointing to the NBA draft as a reason to not allow players to transfer. I think it is one of the dumbest arguments you could make. A, because if you're transferring, you're already not really looking to go to the NBA draft. Um, There are very few high-level draft prospects, meaning guaranteed to be in the first to mid, uh, first round to like high, mid, second round, um, that transfer. Uh, And if they do... It's because they want to play for an like a a postseason berth. Um, you, he gives all these statistics about transfers uh, not being drafted, and and I know it's just a a one year um, sample size. But if you look at last year, right, most of the draft picks in the first round were freshmen or sophomores in college. Mm-hmm. So you're already looking at guys who were either NBA-ready heading into college, borderline, but showed that they were NBA-ready in one year or went through the draft process or didn't, knew what they needed to work on in the second year, and then decided to jump. These weren't guys who were looking to develop themselves into NBA draft prospects. They were, they were already right there just looking to, to make a name for themselves. If you look at the juniors and seniors, in the top 25 from last year. Rui Hachimura didn't transfer, but Cameron Johnson was a transfer. Uh, Brandon Clark was a transfer. And then the other two were Matisse Thibel and uh, I believe 
uh, yeah, Ty Jerome, who were just like stables in in pretty solid college basketball programs and and played their way into being these top 25 picks. Um, one year sample size, you, you'd need to dive deeper into this, but what he's doing is, I don't even know why he's arguing that they shouldn't transfer. He's arguing that there will be less scholarships for high school players, which I would I would argue that there wouldn't be less scholarships filled. You would see college, uh, high school prospects filled, their scholarships filled in May as opposed to February. It's the same amount of scholarships mathematically. It's yeah. just at different schools. It's at different schools, and, and, and you might have schools that are holding three scholarships, hoping for a transfer or two, that then go after a three- or four-star kid um, when they don't fill them uh, that hasn't committed yet. But you also might have these schools, like a, a Texas Tech or a Arizona State, these schools that are competitive but not necessarily um, high uh, – like they don't land the highest recruits all the time holding these scholarships for for high school players and then you have these high school players that are three or four stars that aren't getting the same level or caliber of uh offers um, in terms of schools because those schools are holding for for transfers that then commit to the mid-major ranks um i i just i just don't know how you can say that it hurts anybody to allow these at least at least one time transfers to not sit out. I can understand saying, okay, you've transferred once. Um, we're not going to allow what is essentially free agency in college. But when you're a 17-year-old kid and you make a decision to go to a school and then find out that that's not the program for you, you, you shouldn't be punishing 18-year-old kids for decisions they made when they were, when they were essentially children. Um, and and look, it, it's I could go on and on about why I think it's the dumbest thing. I just I just don't get his math. I don't get why he's pointing to the draft because most transfers aren't. They they might be looking to go to a program that could develop them into a draft prospect, but they're not looking to transfer purely to jump to the draft. They're looking to transfer for all sorts of reasons, um, and the draft's not the only one. So. I, I, I just I just think that this is a good rule to have uh, as a one-time exception for kids to transfer to a program that they think might fit better. There are a lot of instances where guys have gotten to school and what was pitched to them and why they committed has not been the case. Or yeah. they get in a program and it's completely different than what was pitched to them and what they saw during the, the recruiting process. There's also the case, and we see it, all the time in college basketball now, not so much this offseason, but coaching changes. And a lot of the times players commit to a coach rather than a school because that coach is the one they're going to be around and mentoring them and teaching them the game. And in a basketball career, that's what you look for. And everybody likes to think they commit to a school. And while you do, a huge part of that is the coach you play for. Uh, and so when a coach leaves, this is sort of a – avenue for them to find another situation another school uh, that may be better suited for them um, than what their current situation may end up being with a new coach who doesn't fit their style doesn't you know like them they don't like what have you I'm perfectly fine with this um, 
it's not going to make everything run rampant more than it is now because we're i mean uh, I, I think transfers have become a a definite part of college basketball and i don't have a problem with that with kids kind of putting their own best interests out there and it, it, taking advantage of the opportunities given to them and there's no reason why they shouldn't have the same rights as pretty much every other student right if they hit these certain academic requirements i i, I don't get the reasoning behind it other than the fact that or the reason it, reason you would oppose it other than the fact that it's just change and people don't like change yeah people don't like change i, I also don't see why this rule in particular would make any player that's not already considering a transfer um, transfer. So players that want to stay are going to stay. And I don't see why it would make, it would only make a difference for those players who are uh, looking to possibly transfer that might want to transfer to a school that needs their position immediately. Um, you know, you say you've got a point guard that wants to transfer to a high major school that didn't land a high profile point guard recruit and they want to play immediately and they know that if they wait a year, that school might fill that position. Um, that that might be a case where this rule would would encourage them to go through with the transfer. But players who want to transfer are going to transfer. There's there's not really a downside to transferring already other than you have to wait an additional year, which mm -hmm. if you're looking to go to the NBA can be a, a hindrance to you transferring. Um, but if you're not looking to be an NBA or you're, you know you're not an NBA prospect um, and you're going to a school that might be better or a school that where you might be able to play in the NCAA tournament and you don't lose a year of eligibility either way, um, I, don't, I don't see why it would prevent anyone or I don't see why it would change drastically the amount of people that are transferring. No. If anything, I think it would help college basketball, and I'll look at – uh, Malachi Flynn for San Diego State, who is arguably probably uh, the best transfer uh, this past season, uh, who was eligible for the first time. He had to sit out a year, had a really great year this past year. San Diego State obviously um, was an All-American. San Diego State went on their run. They were going to end up with a two-seed. Um, he ends up going to the NBA draft because they have a great year, but also because he's now a year older. And we all know with the NBA draft and teams, they like prospects that are younger because it's more time for to for them to develop and more potential, uh, more time for them to reach their full potential. So we see this clock ticking throughout college basketball where there aren't a lot of seniors that could draft really high, not a lot of juniors that leave early for the NBA draft. It's mostly freshmen and sophomores that do because those are the guys that NBA teams value more. If you transfer and sit out a year, when you become eligible and if you have a good year, you're under a lot more pressure to leave for the NBA. So in Malachi's Flynn case, San Diego State could have potentially gotten two years from him as opposed to just this one. He he can still come back to school, but all, all signs seem to point to him going. They could have gotten two years likely instead of just this one because he wouldn't have felt such pressure from an age standpoint to leave after that sophomore year that he was forced to sit out right um so I, I think this could actually have a, have a positive effect on teams in that regard um from a 
a roster continuity standpoint, I don't think it's going to completely kill roster continuity in the way that, that some people think it might. I want to move on to the NBA draft while we're talking about it, Connor, um, because the early entry deadline is here. Pretty much everybody that has um, co- declared for the draft early has laid out some intention, whether they plan to stay in or plan to return to school. Um, Gonzaga, who I, I know we both have as the preseason number one team coming in the next year, had a, a trio of early entrants. Not all that surprising uh, over the past week or so with Corey Kispert, Joel Iyayi, and Phil Petrusev entering. All didn't hire an agent, uh, all leaving the door open to come back to school, and I think that's probably the, the case for them. Um, I want to know what you think of Gonzaga's chances next year if they were to lose one of those pieces. Uh, and then give me some of the early entries that maybe were a little bit confusing for you. So I I think, first of all, I think if I were to rank the Gonzaga early entries based on their likelihood of coming back, based on the messages they wrote, I would say Ayai is probably the most likely to come back, followed by Corey Kispert, followed by Petrushev. Um Ayai basically in his message said his goal, his plan is still to return uh, unless he gets some sort of guarantee. Um, Kispert said both options are pretty good, but my guess is he returns as well. Petrushev, I'm not I'm not 100 percent confident that he's going to return. Um, he's been the one the entire off season that uh, I've been the most worried about leaving. I also think that the most important player for the Zags to return is Corey Kispert. Um, He would be the senior leader uh, playing in a position that they don't necessarily have the strongest depth. Um, Playing a position, playing and having the capability of playing one of three positions. He can play the two, three, or four, um, depending on the lineups they're running. And so if Petrushev were to leave, you would see a lot of Corey Kispert playing the power forward lineups. Um, the Zags have a ton of guard talent, and uh, Strother, uh, Strother, who plays the three, or will probably play the three more often than, than the two, um, can play the two. So I, I still think that if I and Kispert return and Petrushev leaves... I would still have Gonzaga number one, um, although I would probably have to consider Villanova and Virginia a little bit more closely um, if if Petrushev leaves. But, you know, Drew Timmy, uh, Omar Balo are both incredible players, um, solid bigs, and if they are able to get solid minutes um, from some of their other forwards... Uh, that were either injured and or didn't play a ton last year um, but showed some promise, I think that they're still the number one team. I do think if Kispert leaves and they don't have that senior leadership on their team, I would drop them off the number one line. Yeah, there there is certainly a lot on the line for them with those decisions because I think they are set up. Um, Villanova is going to be really, really good. I think Gonzaga is set up to be the clear number one national championship favorite 
should all three of those guys return. And we've seen a couple of schools. I hope Gonzaga is not one because I'm really excited to, to see what they can do next year with, if they get all those guys back. Um, but I'm re- there are other schools that have been, I, I think, really, really hurt by the early entry deadline. Um, two that immediately come to mind for me are, are Kentucky, which isn't a huge surprise because they seem to lose everybody every year. But they there's only one guy returning for them and Keon Brooks. The rest of the guys are gone. And all of them have pretty much stay, said that their intention is to, is to leave. Um, some of those decisions were expected. Uh, Nick Richards, I don't know how much more he could improve his stock with another year. Um, Tyrese Maxey was going to be uh, probably a lottery pick, certainly a first-round pick. Um, well, the rest of the guys had sort of questionable decisions. Emmanuel quickly wanted to see player of the year, not a surefire first-round pick. Ashton Hagen, certainly not a first-round pick. A.J. Montgomery uh, may not be drafted at all. And so there were a lot of those questionable, questionable decisions that all fell out of Kentucky's favor, and I think is going to put them in a really shorthanded position next year. And, and Illinois would be the other team I would look to, particularly with Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn deciding to go pro. I don't see either of those guys being picked in the first round right now. Um, they're both probably mid-second round picks, probably best-case scenario for them. Um, Illinois is losing a lot now with some of the transfers they've had in graduation. I think if DeSumo and, and Coburn came back, that would put them right with Iowa among Iowa would still be favored, but I, w- I would put them in the mix as the favorites in the big 10 um, a step behind maybe Iowa, but kind of right there with Wisconsin as the, the contender, the top contenders to Iowa in the big 10 uh, without them. I don't think Illinois is an NCAA tournament team. Um, it's probably going to finish in the bottom half of the big 10. So those are the two schools that I'm looking at as um, sort of hit the hardest uh, with this early entry deadline. Is there anybody that you're looking at that um, maybe you see as a beneficiary or somebody, um, some other schools that you think got hit hard? I think the one, the, the I'm going to flip it, the, the most confusing, I guess, or maybe not confusing, maybe he just, he just knows where he stands, but the, the one player that I was assuming would at least test the draft process um, that chose to return to school and it will be a team in my top three next year, is uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I I was Mm -hmm. convinced that he was going to at least test the waters. Now, he probably returns, but but the fact that he made it clear that he's returning to Villanova, he's not even going to consider it this year, he's coming back for another year, um, I think that Villanova is probably uh, the biggest beneficiary of that, just because they get him back. Um, and I think the other one that you could argue is a beneficiary, um, just from the fact that they do return a, uh, a key piece is, is Florida with, uh, Scotty Lewis announcing that Mm -hmm. he's returning. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, and I believe Duke too, Matt Hurt and Wendell Moore are both coming back. Right. So, um, they, uh, I mean, those three schools all kind of, and, and, and Hurt and, well, Hurt is, is going to be a starter next year, but um, 
I think the fact that Villanova was able to return Robinson Earl puts them as probably the biggest winner from this early entry draft deadline, at least now. Yeah. Granted, there are players that are testing the water that could return. Um, if Iowa gets Garza to come back, then uh, they'd probably jump into the biggest winner category for me. But uh, for right now, I think that that Villanova is the early winner of this whole process. I think so too. And one thing that I'm excited about with some of those guys we've seen come back, Villanova and other schools that will be at the top of the rankings, is that college basketball is going to be so much better this coming year than it was this past year just from a level of play. There are going to be some really, really, really good teams next year, um, assuming everything holds firm for them. Uh, Villanova being one of them, Gonzaga being one of them. I'm counting on Luca Garza coming back, which means that Iowa is pr- bringing back pretty much everybody uh, and getting Jordan Bohannon back. Um, there's probably you could look at maybe 10 or 15 teams and feel confident about um, the level of play you're going to get from them. So uh, with these decisions, I'm I'm really looking forward to next year. And we're going to see some teams at the top that uh, maybe aren't traditionally up there, which is going to be some make for a fun season as well yeah and and, i mean i forget who uh who tweeted it out but just just the amount of talent that's going is from a from a freshman perspective to non-traditional blue bloods um Mm -hmm. this year is is going to make it so that you know we have we have the blue i mean obviously i still think kentucky is going to be among one of the best next year um They might not have their traditional, like, huge front court, but I still think that they're going to be able to hang with anyone else in the in the country. But uh, Oklahoma State gets the best prospect coming out of high school. I thought uh, the G League got all those guys. <laughs> uh, USC gets Evan Mobley, which which we all knew for well over a year, pretty much. Um, Zaire Williams deciding he's going to take his talents to Palo Alto. Uh, and and give uh, Jared Haas a um, top top prospect that he can somehow find a way to miss the NCAA tournament <laughs> with. Um, so negative. Scotty Barnes to Florida State, and uh, yeah, I mean Joshua Christopher is going to Arizona State. So you're going to have a lot of talent, especially on the West Coast, uh, which I'm happy about. But you're just going to have a lot mm. of talent at these non-traditional um, powerhouse, like non, not traditionally powerhouse schools. There are good groups of prospects going to these schools as well. The top classes in the country uh, are the top three are Kentucky, Duke, UNC, sort of as expected with those. Uh, but Tennessee is sitting there number four. They're going to be back under Rick Barnes next year. LSU is at five um, because Will Wade can do what he wants. And then Arkansas is six with Eric Musselman. Auburn at seven, uh, despite missing out on Jalen Green. Michigan, despite missing out on Josh Christopher and having Isaiah Todd leave, has the eighth best class. NC State is ninth. And then Oklahoma State with Katie Cunningham, the top prospect, is tenth, um, followed by Gonzaga at 11, Texas Tech and Stanford at 13, those those schools are, are getting just one guy, are getting multiple key contributors, um, and that's going to make college basketball a lot of fun. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the the Gonzagas and Virginias, you know, might not be in the top ten, um, but they're bringing in the exact guys they need to to fill out their rosters, right? Gonzaga yep. calls theirs the tricky trio. Uh, they all wanted to play together. They're all trying to recruit future players to go to Gonzaga, um, and they, I think, the chemistry that they show and the fact that. Gonzaga's only really adding one transfer means that right out the gate, Gonzaga will probably be the best team in basketball, um, assuming everyone returns, because they're adding three guys who who have a chemistry going already um, and a group of, what, eight uh, players that have already been on the team for at least a year together and one grad transfer um, who you can kind of grad transfers I, I always like grad transfers to be kind of plug and play guys they they know that they're going to have an individual role they've been around the block enough uh to know what it takes to win and so um especially with a school like Gonzaga you're getting a guy who just wants to be in the big dance wants a potential of a final four um and so he shouldn't be uh a huge um locker room issue or chemistry right. issue so uh you know, I, I think players are realizing, especially the top players are realizing that they could go to a Kentucky and a Duke and a Kansas and potentially play for a national championship and do all that. Um, but if you look at guys like EJ Montgomery, they sometimes get lost in the rotation, um, get to the point where, you know, Calipari just starts new freshmen over them because he doesn't necessarily know what they can do, but he knows what E.J. Montgomery or uh, an Alex O'Connell has contributed in the past, and so they don't Mm want to go to them uh, a ton when they know they might not be the best fit. Um, And so they're going to these schools where they're going to be the star and put themselves in a position to stand out for their NBA draft prospects, which I think is uh, is a good thing for college basketball. Um, And it will also be a you know it, it could prove to be beneficial especially as we talked about when college basketball is dealing with this new g league process that's just taking everybody <laughs> what are we going to do without Jalen green in college basketball in all seriousness no the g league is, is a is a good option i think for these guys but yeah we're seeing uh, i'm enjoying that we're seeing the the how how the talent is is spreading out in these recruiting classes and it's a lot of fun and it's not just ben simmons going to lsu to toil in obscurity for a year to miss the ncaa tournament or markel fultz going to washington to toil in obscurity and miss the ncaa tournament they're going to good schools and and good coaches with good classes with good rosters um teams that should be ncaa tournament teams and should be factors which will just increase the excitement in the sport because you're going to have those guys on teams doing well and they'll be non-traditional teams. You'll have that whole, um, you know, Oklahoma state versus Kansas next year with Kate Cunningham is going to be a game. All of a sudden Texas tech and Kansas has become that Texas tech and Oklahoma state could become like one of the must see games in the country next year. Um, which is something that certainly wasn't the case last year and certainly wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago. So, so that aspect of it is fun to watch. From the NBA draft standpoint, we still don't know a whole lot about how that process is going to look. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks, when hopefully we have 
some clarity surrounding that. It looks like NBA teams are going to try to open up their training facilities next week to in states that have relaxed some of their stay-at-home orders to try and get the, the league back going here, which will hopefully lead to some clarity around the NBA draft. It's a certainly a time of um, uh, question marks all around and just um, uncertainty. Uh, and as we get some of that, we'll be, we'll be back to talk some more NBA draft, but thank you guys for joining us. It's been, it's been too long and, and glad to be back uh, for my co-host, Connor Hope. I'm Brian Ralph. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time. Music.